Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. And Pastor Chris said, welcome wherever you might be. Uh, We're hearing reports that people are following us not only throughout the United States, but also on the other side of the globe. I just found out that we have some listeners and some people that are watching us in Italy and on the island of Malta, believe it or not, just below Sicily. So can you believe that? Isn't that great? If you're watching, welcome. So good to have you with us. As we announced, we're studying the book of 2 Timothy throughout the month of August. And I sincerely appreciate all the positive feedback that you sent my way this past week. As I mentioned last Sunday in lesson number one, 2 Timothy is the last book that Paul the Apostle wrote. He wrote it in the closing hours of his life from a prison cell in Rome. And so these are his last words. His final words, his final message to Timothy, his son in the faith, and to the church. And so if you ask me, uh, this epistle right here is an extremely significant one. And I appreciate your willingness to take it to heart and listen carefully to what Paul has to say. Okay, lesson number two, or 2 Timothy chapter two, let's jump right in and begin with verse one. 2 Timothy chapter two and verse one, and all the verses are gonna be on the screen. You then, my son, be strong in the grace, in the what? In the grace, and we're gonna read very carefully because every word is vital. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, just like a soldier, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown unless he or she competes according to the rules. And then just like the soldier and the athlete, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Okay, this is what we just read. These first seven verses of 2 Timothy chapter 2 is your classic Sunday morning sermon model. I'll say that again. This is your classic Sunday morning sermon model. And it's textbook. You have everything that you need for a sermon all wrapped up together in one nice little package. First there's the introduction, then there's the body of the message, and then there's the conclusion. And in preacher language, oftentimes we refer to this as the hook, book, look, and talk. That's what, that's what, we, talk, that's what we call it when we're studying how to preach and how to communicate. It's the hook, book, look, and talk. And here Paul starts out with a hook. He makes a statement to grab our attention and lock us in. Paul says to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's not just a throw in here. 
Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And when I hear those words, be strong in the grace, immediately I'm all in. Because if there's something that I need these days to live a good Christian life, it is the grace of God. We absolutely have to have the grace. There's no other way to live and be a believer without the grace of God. And so to me, grace is a tangible expression of God's power. We absolutely have to have it. And with all my heart, I sincerely want to live a grace-filled life. I want to receive grace from God. I want to be able to express grace to the people around me, to the world that I come in contact with. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 2, right out of the starting gate, right off the bat, Paul hooked me. Now he has my full attention. And what follows is book and look, the main message. And in order to fulfill this objective, the seasoned pastor will usually present three points. And so the question is, do you want to live a grace-filled life? Do you want to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power? Paul says, all right, here's three ways to do that. We just read it, if you were paying attention. Endure hardship like a soldier, compete like an athlete, work hard like a farmer. One more time. You want to live a grace-filled life? You want to be strong in the Lord? You want to be able to express the goodness of God to the world around you? Endure hardship like a soldier, compete like an athlete, work hard like a farmer. And then after saying all that, giving the message itself, Paul gives the conclusion, the takeaway or the took, what he wants us to reflect upon, what he wants us to apply to our lives, and maybe even follow up with an action step. And in verse 7, Paul says, meditate on these things. Reflect on them. Take a little bit of time and apply them to your lives. And I know the Spirit of God will add insight into everything that I'm saying. So again, textbook. And if you don't mind... I'd like to borrow, for just a few minutes, I'd like to borrow Paul the Apostle's sermon outline and preach this little sermonette to you. Do you mind? Hope you don't mind. Three ways to be strong in God's grace. Number one, endure hardship as a good soldier. And what I mean by that is to use the adversity, the suffering, and all of the tests and trials that we endure in this life, that we experience in this life, to increase our faith and actually allow us to be more determined to serve the Lord with passion. I mean, is it possible that living life in 2020, God could use a global pandemic to speak to his church? Is that even possible? That we could use the events that are happening in our world today to give us more faith more trust in God, to pray more, to seek God more often, and to become a witness for Him. I believe it with all my heart is possible. We have to be able to take the things that we experience in this life and apply them to our lives. Now, recently, I was having a conversation with a young couple that just started attending Community Christian Church. They've been here for three or four weeks in person. And so in this conversation, I asked them, well, how did you find us? They said, online. I mean, you know, there's a lot of that happening these days. 
They said, we were searching for a church online, just moved into the area, and in light of everything that's going on in our world today, we absolutely love what you had to say on your website. And on our website, very first page, when you find us, in big, bold print, you will read a family of fully devoted followers. Friend, that's been the mission of our church and the message for 28 plus years. It hasn't changed since day one. It's our desire to communicate and to present to the world around us the message of Jesus Christ in good times and in bad times. And I want you to know, during the lockdown, the church, Community Christian Church, didn't disappear. We upped our game. We did everything that we possibly could to not only connect with our congregation, but to lead people to Jesus. That was our desire, because that's our mission. And His grace, the grace that's so necessary in our lives, it helped us to do that. Now, a short time ago, I stumbled onto another church's website, the message that they were offering online. And here's what this particular church said that you could expect if you decided to attend their church. Casual atmosphere, friendly people. Contemporary music, powerful dramas. High impact media presentation. Talks relevant to your daily life. Creative children's space. A Starbucks-esque cafe with a Wi-Fi zone where you can relax and soothe your inner geek with a cup of coffee in your hand. Should be smiling, guys. A place where you matter, whether you're single, married, or single again, with or without children, no matter what you've done or where you've been, we invite you to experience the difference church can make here. You know, I read then I said, super church. My gosh, what a wonderful place to be. They went to a lot of trouble to cover all of the bases of comfort and ease. I mean, what would you have to worry about? But then I thought for a few moments, and I I said to myself, if you attend a church like that, that's so wonderful and so easy, what are you going to do the first time you encounter a problem? What are you going to do when you walk through an adversity or a difficult time? And here's a little word of encouragement for everyone. We all stumble with some speed bumps from time to time. It's not my opinion. Jesus said that. Jesus said, in this world, what? You are going to have trouble. You're going to face some opposition. You're going to have a hard time. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, in a little way of comparison... Let me recite for you the U.S. Navy SEAL code. I mean, that's the illustration Paul gives us, right? Endure hardship like a soldier. Here it is. Loyal to country, team and teammate. Serve with honor and integrity on and off the battlefield. Always be ready to lead and ready to follow. Never quit. Take responsibility for your own actions. And for the actions of your teammates. How's that? Excel as warriors through discipline and innovation. Train for war. Fight to win. 
defeat the enemy and earn your trident every day. Earn that little badge of courage or that symbol of excellent, excellence every day. And of course, soothe your inner geek. You know, I added the last one. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says to Timothy, a good soldier does not get entangled, caught up, or distracted with the affairs of this life. But a good soldier is concerned about serving and honoring his commanding officer. Did you know that that's the number one objective of soldiers? To obtain and then to obey their marching orders at all costs. And the last time I checked, Jesus is still our commanding officer. He's the one who deserves our full attention and our loyalty in good times and in hard times. So number one, endure hardship like a soldier. Number two, compete like an athlete. And it's clear from Paul's writings that he was a sports enthusiast. And he loved to watch the games that were held in ancient Greece. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, here's what Paul wrote. Don't you realize that in a race, everybody runs, but only one gets the prize? Run to win. If you're going to run, run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. The message says it this way, verse 26. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. I'm leaving it all on the field. That's the attitude and the mindset of a competitive athlete. To go for the gold. To do what it takes to win. You know, I keep giving my little granddaughter. She's 10 years old. She's going to be 11 in a couple of weeks. You know, Gio, he's five. He's, he's not old enough yet to get this kind of wisdom from his papa. So I pass it along to my granddaughter. Whenever we're talking about anything that she's involved in, whether it's a, a sport or a, a, something social that she's doing or classroom work, I say, Audrey, give 100%, 100% of the time. Sometimes she rolls her eyes, and I say it again. 100%. 100% of the time. That's the mindset of a competitive athlete. So Paul said the grace-filled believer, the Christian who's really trying to be strong in the grace that God provides for us, is not only tough like a soldier, not only competes like an athlete, but works hard like a farmer. And I was blessed to hear Pastor Chris make reference to that just a few moments ago. Because here's the truth. Nobody is born with a green thumb. Those of you who've killed plants and flowers, you know what I'm talking about. Working the field and producing crop is an art. It's extremely demanding. And a farmer needs a healthy balance between patience and strength as they await the fruit of their labor. Check this out. For a diligent, tenacious, and hardworking farmer, there is nothing more rewarding than harvest. 
Harvest is the payoff. It's what you're looking for. To know that your labor is not in vain. But that when you plant seed, when you sow seed, your heavenly Father will eventually bring a harvest. And so our responsibility is to plant in fertile soil. God's responsibility is to bring the harvest. And then after giving those three amazing illustrations, Paul admonishes Timothy, think about these things. Don't just read them. Don't just dismiss them. Glean the best possible components you can from all three and seek to apply them to your life. And you'll be amazed at how your life will change as you focus in on each one of these illustrations that Paul gives us. Okay, let's move on here. Everybody still with me? All right, verses 8 through 13. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. For which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect. That they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, if, he died with, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Okay, everything that Paul says here in these six verses, he begins with three powerful, dramatic words. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Why would he say that? Why would he give that instruction to a pastor, no less? Remember Jesus Christ. A very promising and top elder in the organization called the Christian Church. He's giving him information and instruction to remember Jesus. Why? Why would he say that? Because we have a tendency to forget and lose sight of what's really important. We get caught up in the logistics Sometimes, and in the process, we undermine the specifics. I'll say that again. We get caught up in the logistics, and we undermine the specifics or the essential. Paul said, remember Jesus Christ. It's the reason I'm in chains. Chain like a hardened criminal. It's for his gospel. I am in this prison cell, rotting, because his gospel has become my gospel. Amen. It's just not something that I've shared with you. It's not something that has been passed down to me. I received it from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And this gospel has become my gospel. Amen. It's in my heart. It's what I live for. It's what I'm going to die for. And here's the gospel message, Paul said. That God himself came to earth as a man. That Jesus is God. 
And he went to the cross and he died there for the sins of the world. He died for my sins and he died for your sins. He hung his head, breathed his last breath, and he died. And then he was buried. But he didn't stay in that grave. Three days later, he was back to life again. He was raised from the dead. He was received up into heaven. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father in all glory. And he's coming back. He's coming back. How many believe that? Jesus is coming back. Not just a fairy tale. Not just a legend or a story that somebody has passed down through the generations. It is in fact the truth. Paul says it's the reason I'm riding here in prison and going to die. For that gospel. Now, just about a month ago, a very concerned sister, a gal who attends our church, very faithful, she emailed me. She's been stuck at home uh, for weeks and weeks, and she, she's just beside herself. She, she asked me in an email, Pastor, do you think that this is the beginning of the end? Everything that we're experiencing in the world right now, do you think it all points to the second coming of Jesus? And I emailed her back, and I said... Absolutely. Not that the world is coming to an end. I don't know when that's going to happen. Nobody does. Even the people who tell you they do. They don't know because Jesus said, he made it very clear, he said nobody knows the day or the hour. However, everything we experience in this life, as believers, every single thing that happens, good and bad, it should all point us to the fact that one day Jesus is coming back. He said so. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said this, as lightning shines from the east to the west. How many have been checking out the lightning we've had the last couple of hours? Everybody sees it. As lightning shines from the east to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Every eye will see it. One day Jesus is going to come on the clouds with power and great glory. Friend, it is going to happen. Jesus is coming back for his church, for his bride. He said he would. And again, we don't know when that's going to be. But in his discourse and conversations with his disciples, when they asked him questions, in a very sincere and intimate way, Jesus said, you know what? Nobody's going to know, but I'm going to send you some signs. I'm going to prepare you. And in my lifetime of 60 plus years, <laughs> I can't think of a time when we have been given a more clear sign. What has been happening here in 2020 should not only remind us of his coming, get us excited about it, but it should inspire us to make the necessary changes in our lives so that we will be ready for whatever happens, when it happens. It, it's a matter of being spiritually ready. Friend, if you have not given this some thought and have done some deep soul searching as to where you are with God, you're missing the sign. What's happening in our world today is to get the church's attention. And my prediction, here's my prediction for 2020, if you want, it's not over yet. We have another half year. My prediction is that because of what's happening right now, what has happened over the past couple of months, the church is going to arise to the challenge. We're going to lock into God, and we are going to make 
significant changes in the way that the world approaches Christianity going forward. It's going to happen. Compelling changes. We are going to be responsible here, the church in 2020, to change our world. I believe that with all my heart. And how many of you know we need a change? We need some things to happen. And the Holy Spirit of God is trying to bump us off dead center. And I hope you're reading the signs. I, I hope you're hearing this. And please, let me say this, and then we're going to move on to the next passage. I know there's a lot of spiritual predictions floating around the internet. I know a lot of people are saying stuff. They're, they're, they're teaching things. And many of you have sent me those informational videos, and you've asked me to listen to them. I appreciate it. Thank you. I, I like the fact that you respect my opinion. You want to hear what I have to say. Uh, but here's my take on video information. Regardless of who it is who's giving the message, listen carefully. If I start to listen or watch a video, especially a YouTube video that somebody's posted, and as I watch it, fear, dread, hopelessness, and despair comes to me, guess what? I turn it off. Again, it doesn't matter who it is. I shut it off because you know what the Bible says? God has not given me a spirit of fear but power and love and a sound mind. We covered all that last week in lesson number one. The scripture tells me, on the other hand, that perfect love casts out all fear. God does not play the fear card. He doesn't get our attention with fear or dread. The enemy does, but that's not God's method of operation. He's totally different. What God does, because if he's concerned about us, out of love and compassion and with a merciful heart, he will send the conviction power of the Holy Spirit. And conviction, very important in our lives, much different than dread. If you come under holy conviction, I'm going to tell you, you're going to hit your knees. And if God wants to get your attention and bump you off of the place where you're at and tell you, clean up your act, the conviction power of the Holy Spirit will come into your heart. Not guilt, not condemnation, not fear. If you feel that, I'm going to tell you, that's not God. That's coming from another source, another spirit. So I don't listen to stuff that, put, that fills me with fear. I'm sorry. You send me something, 30 seconds in, I'm freaking out. Gone. It's done. I can't listen to it. And as a sidebar, for those of you who'd like to know a little bit more about the end times, you really would want to know what the Bible has to say about the second coming of Jesus, I've got good news for you. You're going to hear about it right here. Community Christian Church, starting September the 13th. Series called End of Days. Pastor Chris and I, we're going to go into the scriptures. We're going to talk about this throughout the month of September. I invite you to be with us. Okay, verse 14, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them about how evil and destructive the devil can be, right? Is that what it says? It's not up there? Oh, keep warning them before God against quarreling about words. Because it's of no value. How much value? It's going to get pretty quiet in here right now. 
Keep warning them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. You know, let me make this statement to you because I'm your friend. I really am. Let me, let me make it as tender, diplomatic, and politely as I can. If your words... Your communication, whether they're written or spoken, if they're not backed up by the love and the mercy of God, don't say them. Amen. Don't write them. Don't post them. Do you know for the past four months, I have created a deep groove in my tongue? I'm talking about a painful gash from biting it instead of talking. Because of these verses, verses like 2 Timothy 2.14 and many other verses just like it in the Bible, regarding the controversial issues and the debates that everybody's engaging in, regarding those types of things, I have kept my mouth shut. Uh, And check this out. Here's a newsflash. I have an opinion. Believe it or not. And if you engage me in a civil, social, mature conversation and you ask me my opinion, I will gladly share it with you. However, in response to someone else's adamant opinion, regardless of how annoying and upsetting it might be, I have refused to respond. I have not posted, written, or said anything on social media that might add into the controversy. Why? Because right here in this verse, Paul says, my opinion and war on words isn't going to solve anything. It's not going to help anyone. In fact, worse yet, it's going to ruin those who listen. And so if we have a a divided audience on any subject, half of the people are going to applaud, half the people are going to get mad. It's a no-win situation. Paul said, don't engage in it. It only has the potential to provoke other people to anger and to induce more quarreling. And if you ask me, how are people supposed to know the truth? You don't have to be hateful in the expression of truth. You don't have to be angry or bitter. You can speak the truth of Jesus Christ with a tremendous amount of conviction with kindness with love and with mercy. And your speech should always be seasoned with salt. And you can learn how to communicate to people without getting involved in this huge debate. Verse 15. Some of you are saying, please, move on. (laughs) Do your best to present yourself to God. To who? To God. Do your best to present yourself to God. That's who you're trying to please, right? That's the opinion that you should care the most about, is his opinion. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenus, Hymenus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth, They say that the resurrection from the dead has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. 
How many of you want that testimony? That you weakened or destroyed somebody else's faith. I sure don't. I don't want that hanging over my head. I don't want to be responsible for someone else's lost soul, either by what I do or don't do. Jesus had strong words of reckoning for people who would mislead and misguide others. And not only did these two brothers, that's right, Christian brothers, Hymenus and Philetus, not only did they discredit the truth of God's word, but they literally turned their back on God and they walked away from their own faith because they opened their hearts to the wrong kind of spirit. All right, verses 19 through 21. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Again, this is just me, but given the choice of being used by God for a special or a specific purpose as opposed to common and ordinary, I'm going to choose special every day of the week and twice on Sunday. I mean, I think everybody wants that. We all want to be special. We all want to think that our life matters and it counts, that we're making a difference. And if you're going to try and do something for God, you know, live your life for him, why not make the biggest splash possible? Why not give it your all? Why not be all in? And here in this collection of verses that we just read, Paul gives us the formula that guarantees our life with God will always produce greatness and we will always find special meaning. It's right here in verse 19, the second part. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19b. Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. One more time. Everyone who confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord must turn away from wickedness. Keep in mind, Paul is not speaking to unbelievers here. He's talking to Timothy and to the church. This is a message for you and me. Do you know what that tells me? It tells me that there are some people, no one who attends Community Christian Church, either in person or online, but there are some people, listen, there are some believers who actually engage God in a genuine and legitimate relationship. They confess the lordship of Jesus Christ. They go to church. They give money. They call themselves a Christian. And yet, they still make allowance for known sin in their lives. In other words, they continue to walk in and to behave in the same sinful way that they used to live before they were saved. They refuse to surrender the conviction power of the Holy Spirit and they just live the way they want. Now, please don't confuse what I just described. 
Don't confuse that mindset with one of fleshly weakness. I mean, when you identify a sinful behavior in your life and it crushes you, and you do everything in your power to correct it, and maybe it was in your family, and maybe it's been a part of your life for a while, and every time it happens, every time you fall victim to that same temptation, you get down on your knees and you cry out to God, and you beg for forgiveness. And from that place of humility, you say, dear God, I don't ever want to engage in that behavior again. You know it's wrong. And just like David cried out to God, you, your heart is crushed on the inside. It's broken. That's not what I'm talking about. You see, God doesn't have an issue or a problem when we make mistakes. He doesn't have a problem when we express human weakness from time to time. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 tells us what? His grace is sufficient for us and his power is made perfect in weakness. God can express his power through our weakness and he knows how weak we are. He remembers how prone we are to failure and how easy it is for us to be tripped up. That's why he implemented a spiritual strategy to forgive us of our sins by sending his son to die on the cross for us. And Jesus on the cross says it's finished. It's been complete. And now when we make a mistake, when we fall victim to temptation and sin, 1 John 1, 9 says if we'll confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You make a move toward God, friend, God's going to make a huge move toward you every single time. You run to God and God's going to run, come running to you and with him is going to come a whole lot of grace. Now I'm talking about amazing grace. You see, that's not what Paul was talking about here. That's not what he was referencing. That's not the instruction he was given to us. In verse 19b, he was addressing outright rebellion on the part of believers. When believers say among themselves, I know this is wrong. I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know this goes against God's word, but I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care what anyone says. I'm not going to surrender myself to the conviction power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to turn a deaf ear to what the word of God says. I'm not going to listen to the preacher. I'm just going to live my life the way that I want to. Friend, that's a problem. That's a problem with God. Because that particular attitude, listen to me, that particular attitude is the one and only way the devil, not God, but the enemy of your soul could ever reduce your effectiveness and worth in the kingdom of God. See, God would never say you're not worthy. God would never tell you you're not valuable. He would never point a finger of shame and judgment at you and say you're no good. Only the enemy does that. God has a totally different perspective with his people and with his creation. He loves us. He cares about us. And in Isaiah, here's the way that God acts toward us when we fall short. A bruised reed he'll never break. A smoldering wick he'll never put out. He'll never snuff it out. He just keeps coming after his people. He just keeps extending his grace and his mercy. 
God is not in the business of rejection, only acceptance. And when we choose him, when we confess his lordship, when we embrace him into our lives, we are forever engraved on the palm of our hand, on the palm of his hand. But we have to be willing, Paul said, to turn away from wickedness and dig the evil out of our lives. All right, verse 22, just a few more here. Please be patient. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Out of what? A pure heart. Everything that I just described to you during that last passage is what it means to call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. How many know that's what God is after? It's not the outward appearance. It's not all the things that we're concerned about, that we major in and focus in on. God is after a pure heart. He will work a lifetime to try and get us to be made in his image and likeness. That's his number one objective for our lives. Remember in the Old Testament when God was looking for a good king for Israel, what he told the prophet Samuel, don't look at the outward. Don't pay attention to everything everyone else is looking at. You look at the heart because that's what's most important to God. And the heart will always be right. The heart will always be in the place that God wants it to be. It'll always be pure if we make the fruit of the Spirit a top priority. If we go after that as our character, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control, that's a really good self-evaluation test for us. Are we acting this way? If we compare our actions and our response, do they line up with the characteristics of the Holy Spirit? That's how you can know that your heart is right. Paul says, as Christ followers, flee, run from, go in the opposite direction of fleshly desires and run after and pursue with all of your heart the character of God. Amen. Last passage, verses 23 through 26. Don't have anything to do with foolish and can't even say it in church. <laughs> Stupid arguments. Because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant, you and me, must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him or her must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Bottom line, when you read very carefully this second chapter and everything that Paul was trying to communicate to Timothy, what you come away from this chapter with, in addition to everything that I just tried to articulate and communicate to you is an understanding that God desires for all men and women to be saved. Amen. Paul says they're being taken captive by the devil. They're blind. They're making decisions outside of their capabilities. They don't have spiritual insight like the body of Christ has. And it is God's number one desire that unbelievers become believers. 
When you talk about the grace and mercy of God and why things happen the way they do, you have to be able to understand that's the heart of God. Big picture. He wants everyone to be saved. And in preparation for this study, I, I had chapters 1 and 2 last week and this week. Pastor Chris has chapters 3 and 4. I'm really looking forward to what he has to say through those chapters. In preparation, I rewatched the movie, Paul the Apostle of Christ, and I was taken back and confounded by Paul's genuine humility and love. The way that they were able to portray the unconditional love that Paul had, not only for God or for the church, for the believer, but for those soldiers who abused him and beat him and mistreated him. He loved those guys. They took him out of that jail and they whipped him and beat him within an inch of his life a countless number of times. And still, what he had in his heart was a love that they would be saved. He wanted them to get saved more than anything else. Friend, that is the heart of God. It's not to identify the sinner, to have hate in your heart toward those who have no clue not to stand in judgment against the unbeliever. It is the church's responsibility. We're the only link to their salvation. Amen. And Paul says, at all costs, church, at all costs, get a burden for the lost. Amen. Because God has one. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you for this powerful chapter so much truth here Lord so much direction for our lives written such a long time ago but so applicable for us today Lord I pray that we would take to heart the instruction that Paul gave to Timothy in verse 7 that we would reflect on these things that we would take just a couple of moments in our busy lives and busy days to think about these things. And Lord, I'm praying that divinely, by your Spirit, you will give us additional insight. It's time for the church to be different. It's time for us to be made in the image and likeness of our God. Fleeing worldly and fleshly desires and passions getting our eyes fixed on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, I know you have great things in store for the future. I know, God, that this is the beginning of something big that's about to happen or something supernatural, something you want to do. And Lord, we've seen some ugliness. There's been lawlessness on the streets, and it is hard to maintain a right attitude. But Father, I pray that the Spirit of God would go down deep in each one of us. And our eyes would be open. And we could see, not only with our natural eyes, but with spiritual eyes, we could hear what it is that the Spirit is saying. Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts and you would change us. Please minister to each one during these closing moments, this last song. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. 
For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.